You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. You can be seated. Well, welcome to Elevation Community Church. My name is Elliot, and uh, I got a few announcements, a few things happening uh, in our community. First, this week, this Tuesday, VBS is starting. So, woo, yeah, that's right. It's going to be a really, really good time. Your kids are going to hear a lot about God. They're going to hear the gospel. We have some more flyers back there. Invite your friends and neighbors and spread the word. It's not too late to uh, sign up. It's not too late just to show up, too. We'll have enough volunteers uh, to serve uh, however many kids come. So that is this Tuesday. It starts at 6.15. Come early to register. Come at 6 or even before to register. And that will go for Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday evening at 6 o'clock is uh, the parents' night. So that's that. Missions trip is coming up. Two or three weeks, right? And so the kids have done a ton of work to raise money for the missions trip. The missions trip They have a really fantastic program planned out. Every evening on the missions trip when they're in Florida, they're going to do a discipleship training. There's this guy, Scott Price. He puts this whole program together. He has a really terrific discipleship evangelism training that the students will be doing. And then during the day, they have different service projects lined up. And um, even they're going to go out and do street evangelism. So it's going to be a really good time uh, for the students, their missions trip. But they, they need about a little bit more than $1,000. So here's what we're going to do. Next Sunday, we're going to do a sale after church. We're going to have a car wash. Drive around this way to the back. You can do, we're going to do car wash. We're going to do bake sale. We're going to have a cookout. And uh, just raise some more money for the missions trip. So keep that in mind for next Sunday. One last announcement. We're going to do, especially parents with kids that are back there, we're going to do kid, e-kids pickup a little bit different. The number that you get when you assign your kids in, you got to keep that number, okay? Um, and then next week, I'm going to have a few more logistical announcements about how we're going to do that. But let's get in the habit, even this week, of keeping that ticket that you get when you sign your kids in. Okay, let's transition. Would you pray with me? Father, we bow before you. We are so dependent on you, God. We're so dependent on you, Holy Spirit. We can have the best sermons, the best staff, the best programs, the best VBS, we can have the best ministry strategy. We can have tons of money, tons of volunteers. We can be, quote unquote, successful. But unless you, Holy Spirit, show up and do a work in our hearts and do a work in this community, the kingdom will not grow. Lord, your heart for us is that the kingdom would multiply among us. 
so we bow before you. Give us all ears to hear you. Do work by your Holy Spirit and transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, like Brent said, we are in a new series called Like Jesus. And uh, Phil has been hitting on this idea, this vision we have of discipleship for the past year. He's been talking, we need discipleship in our church. We just can't come Sunday morning, hear a sermon, go home, and it's not impacting us. It's not being integrated, implemented in our lives. And we need more community. We need more mentorship. We need more participation in each other's lives. So this has been coming down the pipeline for a while. Uh, Our one elder, Greg, he'll be presenting next week. Greg has been working on this thing of discipleship for a long time. And, um, And we're finally feeling ready to present it to you. And so this morning's sermon is kind of a, a big picture of a discipleship. Uh, I entitled this sermon, Three Marks of a Disciple. And they're kind of like the big pillars of what we're really shooting for in this church, in our lives, and in the church corporately. So if you would, would you turn to Matthew twenty-eight eighteen? And I like to preach with the Bible open, and I would love it if your Bible was open, your app was open, so you can look down at the words. As disciples, we are conforming ourselves to Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. And so let's take this text very serious. So open your Bibles, Matthew 28. So we find in the Gospels the four writings of Jesus, a lot of things. We find um, a lot of teachings about God. We call this theology and how we should respond to God through repentance and through our lives, um, how to live. We find a lot about who Jesus was, that he was the way, the truth, the life, that he was the Messiah, that he was Lord and God. And we also find something else, something that's often overlooked, we see Jesus called these 12 ordinary dudes and he molded them, he made them his disciples. We see a strategy emerge. And so what Greg and I are going to be talking about is the discipleship strategy of Jesus over the next few weeks. And like I said this morning, it's kind of the, is the big picture. So this morning we're going to be Matthew 28, and as you think about Matthew 28, I like to show this picture on the screen, and we want to place ourselves in the disciples, we want to be in their sandals. What did these words mean for them, right? What's the implication of these words? So let's read. I, I have... I kind of equate it to, how would you like, equate it to our cultural context, like the feeling they had? Um, I remember my college graduation, my high school graduation. Maybe you remember it. Maybe you graduated, graduated from some kind of military service. And when you walk into the auditorium, 
you kind of get jittery, butterflies in your stomach, and there's a sense of anticipation. And then the, the president of the college or military officer, they give this commencement speech, and they say, okay, you've completed the training. You've completed the course. Now you are ready. And they give some fiery speech about, go out there and do it, right? I think that the sense of anticipation, like God's going to do something big, even when they're walking up to the, the Mount of Olives, it says that, that the one uh, apostle turned to Jesus and said, okay, is this the time you're going to restore Israel, right? Is this like some big uh, military move is about to happen? And they didn't obviously understand God's plan. But there's a sense of anticipation. And let's read. Let's look down at the text. And God, indeed, is up to something big. This is huge. This is a, um, an important text. Because it's, a, it's God's ultimate mission statement to his disciples. They had been through the discipleship school. They have heard everything about God and how they should live and how they need to be pure in heart. And it's, religion's just not this outward thing like the, all the religious leaders thought it was and do the sacrifice and do this. But no, God wanted their heart. And they understood so much now. They understood how to, how to heal people. They understood how to, how to cast out demons. And Jesus taught them how to go from village to village and proclaim the kingdom of God. But this was probably bigger than they imagined. This is the ultimate mission that Jesus gave his disciples. So let's look down at the text. Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. From this passage, I want to just quickly pull out three marks of a disciple. And like I said, this is a, a vision sermon. I want these three things to mark how we do small groups. I want them to mark how we do church and how we live individually. So let's, let's break down this passage. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let me just stop right there before I even get into my three marks of a disciple. Because this is the premise. All authority has been given to Jesus. If you'd like, you can flip over to Daniel chapter 7. Or I'll just read it to you. God's plan from eternity past within the mystery of the Trinity. We don't understand this, and for all eternity, we will marvel at this this community of the Trinity. 
and how they operate and their love and relationship with each other. But we see in Matthew 28 and in Daniel 7, uh, this theme of the Father placing all things under the Son. And the the imagery in, in Daniel 7 is just so amazing. Let me just read it for you. Daniel 7, 9. As I looked, thrones were placed in the Ancient of Days. That's a reference to God. He took his seat. His clothes were as white as snow. His hair was, the hair of his head was pure wool. His throne was fiery thrones. The stream of fire issued and came out before him. Thousands and thousands served him. Ten thousands and ten thousands stood before him. Verse 13, I saw that in the night vision, and behold, the clouds of heaven, and there came one like the Son of Man. What's that phrase mean, Son of Man? It just means a man, a, a, a human being, right? He, Daniel's looking up in the clouds, having this vision, and he just saw the Ancient of Days, and he's going to talk about the Ancient of Days again, but he sees in the clouds, there's a man standing in the clouds, And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Daniel doesn't know what's going on. And to him, to this son of man, to this human being, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. God's plan from eternity past within the community of the Trinity, even though that they're one, they're one being, one God, but his plan was to place all things under the Son. So Jesus, right here in Matthew 28, says, guess what? You 11, disciples of mine, I have the right to tell you what I'm about to tell you because everything, the whole universe is mine. All authority, power, everything is under my feet. He's Lord. He's God. So if he, he, he says jump, you say, how high? He has the right. He's God. So we have to have this vision in your mind of the lordship of Jesus. If Jesus isn't Lord in your life, if he's not supreme in your life, then these commands in Matthew 28, they're not going to make sense. They're just going to be impossible, difficult commands that don't really apply to you. But if Jesus is your Lord, then this is for us. If you are his disciple, then these, are, these three things should mark your life. So, Let's look down again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Okay. Go to, go to people. In the Gospel of Luke, and then in Acts, it says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And here it says, all nations. Or in the Greek, it basically says, all Ethno, all, all people groups, all ethnic groups. 
So isn't it so fun to watch The Chosen and to get their, these guys, um, their emotional reactions? And this idea of going to all nations, I don't think going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, was that far-fetched for them? But I just imagine, you know, Peter, he, hearing this and turning to Philip or one of the disciples and say, what? We're going to all nations? What does this have to do with anything? And we, we see in the Old Testament that God's heart was always for the whole world, for all the children of Adam and Eve, right? But how he, God entered into the world, right? We, we get, you get to a point in, in Genesis 12, after Noah and then the Tower of Babel, and it just seems like all humanity is away from God. And then God enters back into humanity through Abraham and through his family. And that is God's way of revealing himself and redeeming the world. But his heart was just not for that family. His heart from all along was through that family, through this story, and ultimately through Jesus now, to bring the whole world back to him. And so now we see this vision of global redemption finally coming to, to the past. But maybe the disciples didn't understand that. Maybe like, whoa, 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 whoa. All nations? And so they had to gr- grapple with that. God's heart is for all people. I know that's kind of like old information for us, but maybe for them, it was like a shock. So that's the first implication when God says, go to all the world. I think the second implication, if we're just you know, in these guys' sandals, they're not even wearing sandals here. <laughs> it looks like they're, uh, yeah, like a, it's like a 70s folk band, you know, just like been wandering around for a long time. But um, I think when they hear, go to all nations, they're, they're, maybe their immediate response was like, how? Because if you think, think of the, the first century world, in the Roman Empire, yeah, there was roads and there was order, but outside of the Roman Empire, the world was dark and depressing and barbaric and poor. And not safe. It was not a safe time in history to live. And so maybe they realized that this was going to take huge sacrifice. It was going to be very costly. And we do. We do eventually see all the apostles, all these 11 dudes, they go all over the world. They go to North Africa. They go to Egypt. They go to India. They go to Assyria. They go, they scatter for the name of Jesus, and they're all killed because they lived in a barbaric, dark time in history. Are we willing to count the cost? How many times did Jesus talk about counting the cost of this mission? Going to an unreached world, going to even our neighbors, and trying to intentionally engage them, it's costly. 
I want to read you something personal. Um, as you know, we, my family and I, we lived in India eight years. And my first year in India was a very difficult, depressing, dark time. And uh, I was a single guy back then. I had time to write stuff like this. So let, let me read you this. I walked into the back caverns of the human soul, treacherous as they were. I found myself grasping for fresh air to find, to find none. When I was a child, I lived in a beautiful world filled with bright dreams and love. I thought very rarely of places like this and in many ways didn't know place, such places could exist. As I went further back, any and every scent of love and grace vanished. I thought to go back, but darkness as it does made that difficult, made that tricky. I remember the verse I memorized with my father. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Further back into this cave, I could hear the turning, clanging, and banging of the Hindu psyche. From the little, from the little my senses could perceive, the main mechanisms seemed to be made out of disgusting desires, the kind that will murder, rape, enslave, lie, at any given time to receive some benefit. I thought further back, there must be much more. Dark thoughts not worth exploring. It was already dark enough where I was. I began to think about how much I loved the light. I remembered just how beautiful pure desire was and still is. Then I thought of the man, Christ Jesus, how he also had been down this dark cave of humanity and into hell itself. I tried to picture what grace and love looked like, and in so doing, I began to see the light brighter than before. It pierced the darkness and promised me a way out. But I thought not to leave. I should live here my whole life, I thought. What will happen to the rest of the people in here, some of whom have become my friends? What of them? There's no doubt about it now. I do not want to leave. February 06. Christ is our example of coming, of going. He left heaven. He came into our skin, into all our culture. He spoke our language. He became a servant. He is our picture of the ultimate missionary. And it cost him everything. It cost the disciples everything. So this whole going piece, go to all nations, it's very, very costly. There's one more thing, one more implication of this go part that I want to talk about. Jesus says, just not to go, just not to show up, right? We can show up somewhere. You know, I've been in the, the missions world, you know, eight years, and even in ministry now, we can do an event, we can do something, and, but not really get into people's lives. Uh, you can be a, a top-notch brain surgeon, right? Raise millions of dollars and form a team of Christians, and you all fly to 
some tribal group in Uzbekistan, set up a clinic there to a people group that have never heard the name of Jesus, never seen a Bible in their language, and you're there, right? And you're loving people, serving people, doing operations, have a beautiful clinic. Oh, it's great. They're missionaries. No, they're not. Not unless they're getting into people's lives and engaging them spiritually, right? And trying to disciple them and tell them about the gospel. So you can, the implication is, is to go. Just not go to North Africa or India like these guys did, but go and get into people's lives. Right. So these disciples, they had seen Jesus do this. Jesus targeted individuals and families and people groups. He said, I've come, the Son of Man's come to seek and to save the lost. He just didn't show up, but he was searching for people to seek and to save them. So the, the, the word I feel to, describes this best is that these disciples, they, like Christ, were to have a missional mindset, constantly having their radar up, for what Jesus was doing, right? Looking and praying for opportunity, going out seeking opportunity to share, explain, and to live out Jesus to others. Let me wrap up this point by, um, if you'd like to turn to Romans 15, verse 18. Romans 15, 18, all right? Paul says, speaking about his ministry and his missionary journeys, right, all the things that he did, he, sa- he says in uh, Romans 15, 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. I mean, this guy literally was a huge reason why the Roman Empire was flipped on its head. I mean, they had... Greek and Roman temples all over the Roman world. And somehow in the course of 250 years, all that was erased. All that culture and religion was wiped out by Christianity, large part because of Paul, because of tens of thousands of people coming to Jesus. He did a huge work. I would not even, I won't boast about this. Uh, what Christ accomplished through me to bring about, to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And how did he do this? By word and deed, by preaching, by talking about and deeds, his lifestyle, his actions, and by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit. God showed up too. He was there. He was working hard, talking, going to synagogue, going here, there. And as he did it, God showed up and did it. So that from Jerusalem all the way around to Iconium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. This is what it means to have a missional mindset. That your ambition, your deep down, your heart's desire, always, like a radar, you're looking, where can Jesus get in? I've made it my ambition to preach the gospel. How are we doing with this? How am I doing with this? Are we intentionally expanding our social networks at the gym, at work, 
at your children's baseball practice, to develop relationships so that we can engage people? Are we going to people? What holds us back? What holds us back from this first initial step of walking into people's lives? I know for me, I'm comfortable where I'm at. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching a sermon to you know a big auditorium full of people. I feel good about myself. You know, and I know one of the elders is going to come up and give me a pat on the back after service. You know? I'm good. Why would I need to change anything? Maybe you feel comfortable in your life. Maybe you feel successful. You're doing your responsibility. You're loving your family. You're taking care of things in your life. And so why would you need to go out of your way? to do this missional thing, to try to reach out to unbelievers at work or at the gym? Why would you try to take that first step? There's so much in our hearts that block the way. You see, us humans, we have small hearts, easily satisfied with spiritual, spiritually mediocre lives. Spiritual, mediocre goals. But the fact of the matter is, God's heart is huge. His heart is full of love and compassion, and he is grieving the lost world. Every single person, he's grieving. Every single lost sheep, he's grieving. Greg is going to talk more about this point next week. And uh, your homework to prepare for Greg's sermon is Luke 15. There's three sermons in there, three sermons. Yeah, kind of like sermons. Three parables about God's heart. And so read these three parables in Luke 15. Write that down, Luke 15. Pray about it, think about it. Ask, what is God's heart in these passages? And then Greg's going to preach on this passage next week. And beyond this fact that our hearts are not aligned with God's hearts, right? We can't go and be missional because our hearts are off. But beyond this, this, this task of going to all nations, we, the fact of the matter is, the job's not done. We haven't gone to all nations, right? I asked a group of high schoolers this week. I said, what percentage of students at Blanchester High School have heard the gospel? And uh, one kid said, maybe half. The other kid said, maybe 70%, which isn't too bad. But that means half or 30% of the students in the high school don't know the, the most important thing in the world to know, right? Half or 30% don't know the gospel, don't know what, who Jesus was and why he was important and what his death meant, that he was a ransom for sin to bring us back to God. They don't know that. So there's tons of opportunity right here in our community. The job is not done. We have not gone to all nations, all peoples, and globally. Woo! I, you can see all the stats on thejoshuaproject.com. I just pulled out two. It's staggering. 42.3% of the global population is unreached. That mean, unreached means 
They don't have access in their language to a person or the book. They don't have a Bible or material or a Christian in their social networks. 42.3 are unreached. And you go to a place like India, 95.1 unreached. You know, there's 1,200 languages in India, vast majority of which don't even have Bibles in their languages. Let me put that in perspective. In Europe, there's 600 languages in Europe, living languages, languages that are used. In India, there's 1,200 languages. Vast majority of them, no Bible in their language. And 95.1% of the people, population, don't have access to the the gospel, because nobody, we haven't obeyed this. We haven't done this. We haven't gone to all nations. I was tempted not to add this in there, but I'll, 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 I'll put this in there. One of the hardest things that I wrestled with when I was a young man in India 15 years ago is the fact that there are hundreds of people groups who for thousands of years have not known God and lived in darkness. How can this be? How can this be God's plan? Where is God? The implications of this is like, can't even emotionally deal with it. And so I theologically and more so emotionally wrestled with this. And I found an answer. And I'll share with you my, my, the answer that I came to as we get to the end of the sermon. So, go. Who are you called to? We're all called to somebody. And I could show you in this Romans 15 passage, not everybody was called to go to Spain with Paul and his companions. Some people were called to stay in Rome and um, partner with Paul on his journey. But we're all called there's many places I could show you, uh, one of which is 1 Peter uh, 2.9. He's chosen us. We're God's holy people, chosen by God. We're his own possession that we might declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his glorious light. You are called to declare God, make him known. You were called to have a missional lifestyle and mindset. Let's read on in Matthew. 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So he says, go. That's that first step, showing up, people's lives, right? That's hard. But then, once you go, what's the plan? Make disciples. Make disciples. What does that mean? So here's Jesus standing before his disciples. And Jesus has made these 11 guys his disciples. So not only, like I said at the beginning, has he taught them about God and who he really is and how to live and how to think, but he's also given them a strategy of how to make disciples. And so There's a lot over the next few weeks we're going to say about this particular point. But let me give you the big idea here. What does it mean to make disciples? So 
we learn so that we in turn can turn around and teach others, right? Within our method of discipleship, there needs to be this, in everything we do, this church, a strong element of encouraging others to get involved, to mentor, to teach, to serve, so that our, this gospel activity, this kingdom work we're doing in other people's lives, it's multiplied. Let me give you a really good example of this, and I don't mean to put this person on the spot, but this person is an example to us. No one tells Brent, hey, make sure everybody else on your team is involved. Brent's heart is to involve as many people as possible. So I love hearing Candace sing. I love hearing Josh sing and uh, Sean sing. Isn't that cool that there's this team up here of people doing that, right? It would be very easy for Brent just to do everything. And he's obviously plenty capable of singing every single song up here, you know? He could do that. And he might not even get any flack for it. But I love his heart. His heart is, no, I want to train you. I want to raise you up. I want to multiply worship. And everything we, we do, we're lifting other people up. So Jesus took these 11 guys, these 11 losers, right? And he lifted them up. He taught them. He poured into them. He gave them opportunity. Hey, it says in the Gospels that Jesus didn't baptize these people. He says they went over to the other side of the Jordan and they were baptizing people. And then in parentheses it says, although it wasn't Jesus who was baptizing, it was his disciples. What? But Jesus is the main deal here. So why did Jesus say, you baptize them? Because he's lifting them up. He's saying, no, you step into this. I'm not going to baptize these guys. You go baptize them. You cast out this demon. You go to these villages and proclaim the kingdom of God. He empowered them. And so within our small group, within our different ministries in the church, we want this strong element of training others, bringing them along, getting them involved, mentoring them and how they are father and how to, to minister to others and everything we do. We're training others. We're multiplying it, right? I think that's, that's one of the big ideas here. So let me, let me give you another example. I, and I, lit I literally don't know the inner workings, the dynamics of the prayer team, but I love the prayer team. People who are just uh, full of the Holy Spirit, very prophetic, and I'm just so blessed by them. And... I'm just using this as an example. I don't know, like I said, I don't know the inner workings. But these folks have gold, right? They have something so special in this prayer group. And I love being around it. And just as an example, it would be really unfortunate if that group didn't grow and multiply. And it's easy, it'd be easy, this group or any other, to feel like, oh, we got a good thing going on here now. 
this is great. God's speaking to us. It's so powerful. And every time I join the, the prayer team, it's powerful. But it would be better if they found some people in their congregation who had no clue about prayer or the prophetic, and they included those people in their prayer time. And yeah, it might change the dynamic of the group. It might make it not as you know, cool or whatever, not as interesting or not as uh, dynamic. But we were made to multiply we were made to grow. We were made to bring others along. This passage in Genesis 1.28, it applies to even us today. God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, right? We were made not just to enjoy our, our little thing that we got, Right? I think we could all enjoy if Brent sang every song, right? Because, you know, it's like the best voice ever. But we were made to multiply. We were made to grow and train others and, and, and lift others up. And so it would be tragic, just an example, if the prayer team kept all that prophetic stuff to themselves, right, and didn't bring other people along. The same thing could be said about any Bible study, any group. If it's not growing, if you're not bringing other people up and growing it, then change things up. You know, get other people in there. We see this principle of multiplication really clearly in 2 Timothy 2.2. If you want to turn there, 2 Timothy 2.2. Didn't mark it, but you think I should be able to find it, right? I, I, I think I do this for a living, right? Second Timothy two two. It says this. This this principle of multiplication says, verse one. Then you, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, um, and what you have heard from me. So here's. Paul, talking to his apprentice, Timothy, and he says, be strong in God's grace. And those things that you, Timothy, have heard from me. So here's Paul, and he's taking the, he's, he spoke words. He gave Timothy doctrine, right? Things that he should teach to others. He says, things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these words, these things, to faithful men. So it goes from Timothy to faithful men in Ephesus, who will be able to teach others also, fourth generation. Right? So right here we have Paul, Timothy, other people in Ephesus, and these guys, in turn, should multiply it. Multiply this truth. That is our vision for our groups, is that it would multiply like that. We would train others in how to follow Jesus so that they, in turn, could teach others, right? 
So the second point here is disciples of Jesus make and multiply other disciples. And this, this part back in Matthew 28, it says, and you baptize them, right? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? These aren't just surface-level believers. These are people who are willing to stand up and proclaim before everybody that they're unashamedly followers of Jesus. They're fully committed. They're publicly declaring, I follow Jesus. And this Father, Son, Holy Spirit thing, this would be hard for a first-century Jew to, to do. They didn't have a, obviously, first-century Jews, they didn't have a strong concept of the Trinity, And so Jesus is, in probably the most explicit terms, describing what we call the Trinity. And so he says, not only are you stepping into this faith in Jesus, but you're stepping into this view of God. This new, for for these early Jewish believers, this new view of God. So it was a big commitment. You're baptized and... um, and this Trinitarian formula. So it's a, it's a big social commitment. Let's, let's move on. The third point. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Right? In some uh, uh, translations it says, teaching them to keep all that I've commanded you or teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So what are we doing in our groups, right? We're trying to multiply it, but what's the goal in our discipleship efforts? The goal is, is that people would be conformed to God's ways, that their thoughts and actions would be conformed to Jesus, that they would be like Jesus. Hence the, the title of this sermon series. That's the goal, We want to be like Jesus and how he made disciples and how he lived. Remember we read it um, two weeks ago in Ephesians 5? You were created that you might be uh, resemble God's holiness. This is why we were made, to be like him. So the goal of our preaching, our community groups, is that we should help others obey and conform to the life of Jesus, right? So our groups, they're not just informational, right? We can do that. I've been in a lot of small groups, and it's just, it seems like the point is just to learn information, which is a part of it. This, this Bible, this information is important, but it's just not head knowledge, right? It's just not information, And it's just not relationships, right? We can build very deep, trusting relationships with each other and still miss the goal in our small groups of leading people into obedience, right? So um, with our leaders um, of our small groups, like we've done the three groups this summer and we did training Uh, last spring, one thing I've said over and over again, the point is, is to shepherd people, mentor people, lead people 
to obedience. So you're actually implementing it in your life. And so that's a process, right? He says, you make disciples and teaching them, right? So that's a, I like to use the word holistic process. It's just not a mental thing or emotional thing. It's, it's everything. Our emotions, actions, habits, the spirit would be transformed, right? So we're going to be talking about this holistic approach to discipleship in the weeks to come. But as I, as I wrap up, I want you to quickly go over this. Disciples of Jesus, let me go back to that other slide. Yes, thank you. What's three marks of a disciple? We go with missional lifestyle and mindset. Disciples of Jesus make them multiply disciples, right? And we have obedience as our goal. Our goal is to teach people to observe all of Jesus' commandments. I want to show you this last chart, right? And this is kind of a, a shift that Pastor Phil and the elders and um, kind of, we've been wrestling with this. And so there's lots of different ministry models, church models um, in the U.S. And so over here on the left side, you see the tractional church model. And we know big churches like this that have this model, right? It's very much event-oriented. It's heavy on staff leadership. It's a come-and-see show. And the ministry seems very controlled and centralized. And the main discipleship method, how are people being discipled and transformed, is through these events and programs. What I'm talking about this morning is on the right side, more of a missional strategy to how we do church and community. It is, yes, there's still staff to help the community. Even in the first century, the apostles were kind of like staff, and they had other people that were helping the community out because there's community needs. But it's really, we want to be heavy on lay leadership and put a lot of, of spiritual authority even and responsibility on, on just regular folks in the church. And so instead of the model, the, the, the main discipleship method being come to this event, come to this, hear this sermon, or you know, come on Sunday morning to the Bible, uh, Bible study, those things are great. But we want the main discipleship strategy to be people. See that last line? Training people to do the work of discipleship. Because that's people, really where people are going to be transformed is by other people. So instead of come and see, it's you all. You go and tell. You make disciples. You get into people's lives. Yeah, and that can be messy. And the messy is good. Because you know why? That's when we rely on God's help. We rely on the Holy Spirit. We're in the midst of people's mess. And that's where God shows up and starts to transform people. Can we pray? Let's pray. And band, you can come on up. 
Lord, this task of doing them, doing small groups and being missional and this task of going, making disciples, teaching them to observe all things, it seems impossible. Lord, our hearts are so hard. Even in my own life, God. Lord, help my radar to be open for what you want to do, God. And thank you, God, for this promise, God. In the midst of this seemingly impossible task, you promise us that you are with us, that you will do it, God. We can show up in people's lives. We can try, try, try. But unless you show up, God, in your power and your authority, all our efforts are worthless. So God, Holy Spirit, come. You do it. Jesus, be with us. Thank you for this promise that you are with us. You will go with us, God. May you do this work in our church, God. May you build your kingdom. May you multiply disciples. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.